So there's the story of a conversation between God and an atheist. And this atheist was having a conversation with God and actually testing God and challenging God that as to who could make a better human being. Whether God could make a better human being or the atheist could make a better human being. So it was a conversation about creation. So God said, okay, yep, let's have that. And so in his excitement, the atheist reached down to the ground and picked up some dust. And God said, no, no, stop, stop. Find your own dust. <laughs> Never mind. Only those who are alert can catch that. You think you can create anything? It is God who's created everything beginning with dust. So the first four words of the Bible, both in the Hebrew language and in the English translation, is vitally important. In the beginning, God are the first four most important words. It's a God who has created everything out of nothing. So it doesn't say in the beginning atoms and molecules, doesn't say in the beginning evolution, doesn't say in the beginning other gods, it just says in the beginning God. So he's the first mover of everything. I was teaching at a Bible college in Sri Lanka years ago, I've told this story wherever I went, and as I was doing the lecture, there was laughter at the back of the class that disrupted my lecture. So I asked, what, what's going on? And I was obviously teaching Genesis chapter 1, and they said, Pastor Chris, what you just taught us, that only God can create something out of nothing, is not true. So I said, what do you mean? He says, we Sri Lankans can create something out of nothing. It's called gossip. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, that's not bad, that's not bad, that's quite good. Besides gossip, what can you create out of nothing? Everything that you can create from a cake that you bake to the greatest inventions here, needs a prior creation. Is that right? Without resources, you don't get this. And China and America are fighting for that precious metal that makes all these chips and every single thing that goes into this. It is God who has created everything. The God who creates everything, the technical word for it is ex nihilo. He created ex nihilo. Out of nothing, He creates everything. So it's an absolute statement of the absolute God. And how should you read and understand Genesis? Against the world that it was written to. In the world that it was written to, and this is most likely written by Moses, it was the ancient Near Eastern world, what we call A-N-E, ancient Near Eastern world. And they had different competing creation accounts. And one competing creation account was the Mesopotamian creation account called Enuma Elish. In Enuma Elish, the god there called Maduk had to conquer Tiamat, the goddess of chaos, the goddess of the deep, before he could proceed with creation. In the Egyptian creation account, the Egyptian god Ptah, the creator god, has to use pre-existing the pre-existent water deity, <coughs> Nun or Nun, to create the universe. In other words, when this was written, the alternative views was many gods, polytheism. Poly is many, theism. Many alternate gods fighting over creation 
And after they create, fighting over who should rule different parts of the universe and different parts of the world. That's why the first four words of the Bible are totally radical, stunning. In the beginning, God. There is only one true and living God. It is monotheism against all the polytheism around the world at that time. So he's the first cause and the first mover. He's the absolute. There are no ifs, there are no buts, there are no competitors, there are no alternative worldviews. And as we say that just from the first four words to explain it and its, its meaning and its implication for us, a very important tip is needed as we read and listen to Genesis. And what is the tip or the, the hint? We must allow God, when God is speaking, don't interrupt Him. So how many of you like it that when you are talking, you're giving your opinion, people keep interrupting you? Hands up. You like to be interrupted. When we read the Bible, and then as we read here, I don't understand this, I interrupt God, I interrupt God, that's what we are doing. Don't interrupt God by our speculation that there could be other gods. So when this was read all those years ago, they would say, in the beginning, God, but what about Marduk? What about Tiamat? What about Nun? For us modern-day people, as we read Genesis and listen to Genesis, what about evolution? What about carbon dating? Was it a literal 24-hour day? Was it a day equal to a thousand years? Those are our scientific questions, legitimate, valid, must be asked. But we have to allow God to present His Word to us. That's a very important thing. So we sit here listening to Him. Let God tell His story. And we do not imagine our creation. We do not speculate about our Creator. We are now told this is who He is. This is who we are. And this is why you are here on earth. This is your meaning of your life given by God. We call that living top-down by revelation. Every other means is ground up by speculation and imagination. So whether it was first read among a world of polytheism or now it's read in a scientific world, you've got to realise when you read Genesis, the focus of Genesis is who and why. The focus of science is how. And Genesis and science does not have to be enemies. Genesis and science, Genesis and science can be friends. Because without knowing the who and the why, the how doesn't make sense. So science tries to explain the design. Genesis tells you about the designer and why he designed it this way. So they are complementary in many ways. And it's important that we get this right. So are you willing to allow God to speak to you about who He is? about who you are made in His image and why you are still alive here? Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you were going to say yes. Okay? So, next thing. Let's listen to God. Genesis has 50 chapters. It's broken into two main parts. The first 11 chapters is what we call the history of the universe, primeval history. Then from chapter 11 onwards, we call it patriarchal history, the history of Abraham, the history of Isaac, the history of Jacob, the history of Joseph, from whom will come the nation of Israel. So it has a narrowing focus, as we will see again and again, as I try to explain how the author under God reveals God to us. A, a key element of writing 
is that the writer will play out these 50 chapters telling who God is, who we are in His image, and why we are here by this writing technique. These are the generations of. Sometimes it means this is the family tree of or this is the storyline of. This is the storyline of the heavens and the earth. This is now the family tree and the storyline of Adam. This is now the family tree and the storyline of Noah. And why Noah? Because God wiped out the entire human race but kept Noah and his family. Please keep coming because every chapter is going to be life-changing for you. Right? And then the sons of Noah and then Shem. And then it will go on. To this, these are the generations of Terah. Who on earth is she? And Ishmael and Isaac and Esau and Jacob. And then finally will come the origins and the birth of God's chosen nation in the Old Testament, Israel. From that, we will trace the storyline to Jesus Christ. So the book of beginnings, when you get this right, the rest of your life will be right. That's my promise to you. You don't get Genesis right, everything else will not fall in place. It's like not starting with the right jigsaw puzzle. You will never have the whole picture together. So, we can only draw the summary points. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, the darkness He called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So, from Genesis 1 itself, you find there are a lot of repetitions and a lot of patterns. And here are the repetitions. Whenever there's repetition, there is emphasis. Whenever there's repetition, there is significance and meaning. So, the first thing. We meet not a God, but we meet the God, the true and living God of Word. So, the God that we meet in the Bible is not a God who is a visual God. And you respond to Him as in an idol. He's a God of Word an invisible God. And the only way you're going to come to know Him is by listening to Him speak. God said, and it was. So because we meet the God of Word, then the rest of the Bible has meaning. Therefore, every word of God, men shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because He's a God of Word, you are people of Word. We are people of Word made in His image. I'm going to ask you a trick question. Can you think without words? Can you think without words? Can you live without words? Can you relate without words? That's part of the image of God, very important. And then the God of word, whatever He says comes true. His word becomes His will. His word becomes His will. So we meet the God of authority, the God of power. His word is powerful. His word is authoritative. And we say this again and again. Try this. All those with children under five years old, hands up. Quite a few, right? More at nine o'clock, more at 5 p.m. You ever try telling your children, eat your food, and it was not so? <laughs> Anybody with teenage kids? Hands up. You ever try to tell a teenager, clean your room, and it was not so? <laughs> you ever tell them, clean your room before you go to university, and it was not so? In a day, you speak hundreds of words. In a week, thousands of words. But your words and my words are pretty useless. Pretty useless. Our word usually does not carry out our will. And that's where we get into trouble with each other. My word is usually to express my will, my way of doing something. When God speaks His word, it accomplishes His will. 
The two things go together. So here is the God of word. Here's the God of power. And here is the God of purpose. And God saw what he had made and it was good. Six times he pronounces it as good before he says the superlative. So distinction between power and purpose. I was a young pastor 28, 29 years ago, rookie pastor, and not encountered a person with mental unwellness. Mental unwellness wasn't a huge thing medically yet 20, 30 years ago. It has always been there, but we didn't have the medical skills to pick it up, right? To diagnose it, to treat it, so that we are better going forward. And quite obviously, one of the ladies that, we, that had come into our ministry was suffering mental unwellness. Her parents knew it. Slowly, we came to know it. So when some manifestations of this is that when people have a mental breakdown, they are very powerful, but very purposeless in their power. And so she had a mental breakdown, and they, they called the authorities, the ambulance, to come strap her down, jab her, calm her down. Power without purpose is anarchy. You meet a God who is powerful, but purposeful. And His power is not destructive, His power is constructive. He makes a universe and a world, and makes you and me, that He doesn't need. He's a perfect God. He's self-sufficient. And he meets, he creates you and me to share who he is and to share what he has. We call that a benevolent God. We call that a generous God. We call that a God of grace, a God of big-heartedness. Then how does God, the God of word, the God of power, the God of purpose work? You'll find this pattern very quickly. That the first three days, he creates the form, the location, the geography of something. He creates the light and the dark. Day two, he creates the sea and the sky. And then day three, he creates the earth. And notice how he fills them. Day, day four, he puts the lights of the day and the night, the sun, the moon, and the stars, to control the seasons, which tells you that there can be light without the sun. Because God said, let there be light. He didn't say, let there be sun, then there be light. There's a very huge difference there. And then he creates the sea and fills it with the fishes and creates the skies and fills it with the birds, creates the earth and fills it with animals and makes men and women. And you ask, why? Why does a God who is perfect and all-sufficient, a God who needs nothing and no one, why does he bother with this thing called creation? And so we have to fast forward. Then God said, let us make men in our image, in our likeness. Please take note. From the first time we read this in verse 26, we know that God is not singular. We know that God is plural. Let us make men in our image, not in my image. That's all we know. Is it the first sin of the Trinity? We can't tell. It's too far a jump. But at least we know that God is not singular. Because you ask yourself, can a God who has been single and singular all his life have the capacity to invite people to be loving, for that would be at the heart of his, his work. So God created men and women in His image and see how it goes. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. A few big words there, God blessed them and be fruitful and multiply. So, did you notice the narrowing focus? 
It begins with the heavens, God created everything. Then the camera zooms in like it's in a movie. It zooms in to the action on earth. And then it zooms in to Adam and Eve. And by Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, a symbol of them fulfilling God's purpose. So a narrowing focus on us is to send the message that men and women are the apple of God's eye. Which means what happens on earth, earth is the headquarters of the universe. Do you believe that? What happens on earth controls the destiny of the universe. So if that is true, you can tell Sir Richard Branson and Elon Musk of Tesla to not spend too much money trying to find meaning and life out there. Because even if we found life out there, it is men and women who are made in God's image. And what men and women do in response to God will determine which way the universe goes. So that's humongous. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Four words in the bowl, finished. God rested and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Let me try to explain this, right? Um, rested. The whole goal of God working is to rest. I just want to make a side point that will come out in a big way next week in Genesis 2. Too many of us as modern day people too many of us as Asians, too many of us as Singaporeans, right? Work is not an end in itself. So what does that mean? That means somewhere along the line, you got to tell your boss and your company, I'm totally unavailable. If you're available to your boss and your company, to your work 24-7, you do not bear the image of God. Because for six days he laboured, and on the seventh day he rested. He rested to enjoy the beauty of his creation, to work, work, work with no resting and enjoyment is idolatrous. To work, work, work and then worship, that is what God made us for. So I make a side point that will be expanded next week. So that's to tell you, you have to come next week <laughs> because we are running short of time because of the baptisms and so. Next thing is God bless. Three times the word is used. God bless the living creatures. God bless men. But this is the first time God blesses a non-living thing. He blesses a day. He blesses an inanimate thing. Why does He bless a day? Why is this day so significant? And then He made it holy, which means he, this day is separate from the rest. And did you notice the last distinction before I draw the things together? The seventh day, unlike the first six days, there was no evening, there was no morning, there was no evening, there was no morning, which means the first six days are close-ended days. Whether they are 24, 7 days, that's not the point. They are close-ended. The seventh day has no evening, has no morning. It's an open-ended. It's an open-ended invitation to what? An open-ended invitation to men and women to come and share three things. So the image of God in Genesis, it would seem, can be summarized as three R's. He created us on His behalf to rule the world on His behalf. Do you think God could have, create, uh, could have ruled the world? Absolutely. He didn't need you and me to rule the world. He who created everything out of nothing can rule everything that He created. But in His big-heartedness, He shares government with you. Ask any political party of the world. No political party shares government. Is that true? 
None. God is the only one who shares rule and shows His benevolence, His good-heartedness, and His big-heartedness. Then He says, go forth, multiply, and fill the earth in Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So you know that God will say in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. He built us and wired us for relationships. So, the most painful thing you can suffer in life is what our sister shared. She went through a broken relationship. It, it, it impacted her for a long time, six, seven years. The most painful thing you can do, you can experience, is when people unfriend you on Facebook. Then you say, why, 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 why? <laughs> the most painful thing you can do to a child at the playground is say to them, don't friend you. You cannot join my team. That's the first experience of insecurity. Because we are wired for relationships. We find our identity and security in relationships. And finally, to rest with God. So what is this rest with God? Rest with God. These are life-changing three hours. Do you know all this thing is, is wired into you? That when you do not rest, you are not fulfilling the designer's design for your heart and your life. And so we can fill this up now. The seven days is an open-ended day. God rests from His work of creation and then invites us to rule the world on His behalf and in other words, to worship Him and to serve Him. He's the God of blessings. So when we look at Genesis, it's rather simple. He created you to worship Him and to give thanks for the wonderful universe and the wonderful world and the wonderful people He brought into your life to love and to live with. And so, God saw all that He had made and it was very good. What did I just miss out? If you're still following, lunch will come. It will come. What did I just miss out? Did you catch me just now? God saw all that He had made and it was very good. What did I miss out? I missed out, I missed out and behold. You think God could have spoken this and then the writer could have written this? God made everything. He had, God saw everything He had made and it was very good. Why did He need to throw in behold? Because in reading the, the, the commentary, behold, a modern day version of it could be, wow! God saw everything He had made and God Himself said, wow! It was very good. God saw all that He had made and it was a wow factor. Now, what does that mean for you and me? Do you live in awe and worship? Do you live in wonder of God that He is creator, that everything He's created, you should give thanks to Him as part of your life of dependence, your life of gratitude? So when was the last time you had a wow moment from creation? It's a beautiful sunrise, you see that? Beautiful sunrise. And only a world-class photographer could have taken this. A beautiful sunrise from another angle. And the world-class photographer is me. <laughs> I told you to come to Turkey with me, you didn't come. We waited two days because of bad weather, they wouldn't fly. But on the third day, it was perfect weather. And the balloons went up. And just 60, 80, 100 balloons just witnessing, and everybody in that basket, in that balloon, would just go, wow, oh God, it's just marvellous. 
You're worthy to be worshipped. Oh, glory to you. You ever look at creation and go, wow! That's what it should have been. God looked at all that He had made and God Himself went, wow! It was very good. We live and we look at the world around us and we go, blah. What happened between wow and blah? God Himself is wowed by His own works. And you look at things around you and you go, something has gone really wrong. We call that rebellion against God. Right? So before we get there, Revelation 4.11 says this, They cast their crowns before the throne. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. Why? Why? Simply because you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. Sounds so much like Genesis, don't you think? You created all things and by your design, they, by you, the designer, they have design and they have purposes. So you're not here by chance. You're not here randomly. You and I do not wake up and say, why live another day? Wow, because God made me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why. So you, I'm not saying you have to go and watch the best sunsets, sunrise in the world. You can do the wows in the routine of life. We woke up one morning and this was wow in our garden. For me, I just say wow, my wife is there. <laughs> you don't just say wow at my wife, but I have to say wow at my wife. And then wow, three flowers, three hibiscus flowers. Isn't that great? You ever look at the flowers, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And only you could have fashioned this. Have you stopped smelling the roses? Have you stopped witnessing how beautiful things are around you? Surely. And some days I come back and I bump into my cat. Wow. Look at me. Hey, hey, hey. I'm a wonder. You ever wow that life? And then the people that God has put into your life. When was the last time you sat down and eyeballed your husband and eyeballed your wife? This story I've told many times. My daughter is four or five years old and we all came down for breakfast and she sat across the table from me and said, Daddy, you're so ugly. <laughs> and she says, right. I hadn't showered. My hair was in a mess. I hadn't brushed my teeth. I, I don't look like that prim and proper when I preach. And she was right. But beyond those moments, when was the last time you reached out and told your father, your mother, that you are beautiful? Not just physically, but you are a beautiful person. My late mother lived with me to 101. I saw her age. I saw her wrinkle. And even her wrinkles are beautiful. Don't you think so? It's this very hands that fed 12 children. Cuddle 12 children. I'm number 12. When was the last time you said to your parents, you are beautiful, dad and mom. I treasure you. When was the last time you sat down and eyeballed your wife? For me, eyeballing Mona. I say, you're a beautiful person. You're the best wife God has given to me. And she always say, I'm your only wife, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say that to my children, you're the best son. My son says, I'm your only son. You're my best daughter. Yes, I'm your only... Whatever God gives you is the best. Amen? Live with wow. And I want to challenge you. 2020, that starts a new year and a new decade. 
you need to put in the wow factor. Live in awe of Him, live in wonder of Him, and say to your loved ones in your life, you are a beautiful gift to my life. Satan comes along and makes you feel discontented, makes you feel ungrateful, that you never do wow in your life. From morning to night, I do wow. I was going to show you more photos. The whole, picture, the whole sermon will be photos. I took a picture of my fav- one of my favorite foods, um, fish ball. Took a picture of fish ball. My first meal, my last meal. It's okay. You ever say wow when you eat? Wow, wow, wow all around you. That's what it means. That's what Genesis tells you. But something has gone wrong. I went for a walk, and I usually do, East Coast Park, Sabbath day. As I walked, and that day Mona couldn't come with me, and as I walked, I just saw plastics, waste everywhere. Because Sunday is full of people, Monday no people, only pastors go. And I couldn't help but stop and pick it up. Can you see what I found? It was a small stretch of maybe 10 meters, maybe the, the, the stage slightly longer, And within 10, 20 meters, I picked up a pair of sandals. I picked up some foam stuff. I found a plastic bag where I put things in there. And uh, yeah, and if we don't pick it up, who picks it up? The cleaner lah. Of course what? We got tons of cleaners in Singapore. If we don't pick it up and the cleaner doesn't pick up, you know who picks it up? The fishes, the whales. And when you cut them out now, they are full of plastics. Something has gone wrong in our rule of the world, don't you think? That is in chapter 3. But I thought I'll share this with you, and to prove that it was me, my dog was there. (laughs) Helping me pick up the rubbish. Very well trained by pastors. See rubbish, pick up. See rubbish, pick up. See rubbish, pick up. Right? And to prove that not only my dog was there, I was there. And I'm usually smiling, but I ain't smiling. Right? Because my day got messed up by picking up your rubbish. I don't know whether you are there. Whenever you see rubbish, don't think somebody else will pick it up. So if you read our book with some care and listen to the vision at some care last week, that one of the things that we're going to embark on as much as we preach about the new heavens and the new earth, we are caretakers of this present world. So creation care. Every time you see something, you pick it up. We're going to put bins out there, but it's not just about the perimeter of ARPC. Wherever you see this, you don't say, I leave it to the Bangladeshi worker, I leave it to the Indian worker, I leave it to the mainland Chinese uncle who is paid to do this. You pick it up. You know why? Because some animal down the road, which you and me were created to rule after, look after, benevolently, is going to eat that rubbish and die from it. Do I sound like an environmentalist? (laughs) Because we can't preach Christ without being concerned about this. Not that creation care is the gospel, but the gospel includes creation care, don't you think? And so, how does it end? Jesus' creation and recreation. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hey? For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Sounds familiar, sounds familiar. In heaven and on earth. By Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And who wrote this? Paul the Apostle wrote this in Colossians chapter 1. Now all the jigsaw puzzles has come together. God had a plan for creation. The plan went off rails. 
And that's why we don't rule the world. That's why we feed plastics to animals. That's why we junk it up. We consume the world with no repercussion. But that day is coming to an end because God has come to put the world on notice. The whole world, the whole universe, was created by Him, the source, through Him, the means, and for Him, the receiver. And that's how God receives the worship of the nation through the sacrifice and the enthronement of His Son. Amen? And so, as the year begins, it must be a new heart, a new year, a new decade, a new century. We do not know how long before the Lord Jesus returns, but we are called to do two things. From Genesis to Revelation is the worship of God as Creator, and finally, the worship of God as Redeemer by acknowledging that Jesus has come to save us and He will usher in a new heavens and a new earth. And so, is that going to be you? I don't want to live any day of my life without the wonder, the awe, and the wow, and the fear of God. Amen? I highly pray, I highly commend that to you as I pray for you. I do not want to live any day without the wonder of Jesus. So after service at 9 a.m. last week, I was talking to a couple, telling them some things of how to minister to their father who was sick. Then this young boy comes up and um, he's um, uh, high-functioning autism. We've come to love him. He's a beautiful spirit. So he's called Pastor Chris. So his father apologized profusely that he had interrupted my talking to this couple. I said, it's okay, it's okay. I turned to him. Then he said, this is my auntie and my auntie is sick, and uh, obviously referring to her, she's quite sick, right? And he just blurted out in a loud voice, so what can you do for her? For her? What can you do for her? And I just said to him, Pastor Chris cannot do anything for her, but God and Jesus can. You think that's true? That's absolutely true. As we live in a sinful world, a fallen world with decay, disease, and death, I can't do nothing about it. But I belong to a Savior who can do everything about it. As much as He created everything in the beginning, He has the power to redeem all things and He's done it all through the love of His Son, the great work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So no day must ever proceed and end without you growing in your wow factor of Jesus. Don't you think? Let's stand and pray and sing this closing song together. Grace us that we might receive your revelation of who you are, of who we are made in your image and why we are here. And by your word, enlighten us. By your spirit, empower us. By your son, redeem us to behold you as our creator. Forgive us when we have so moved away in our hearts, in our experiences, from living in wonder, in awe, in fear, in love of you, to just treating life as a, as a blah, as a nothing. And day by day goes by with discontentment and indeed with grumbling, let alone gratitude and thanksgiving. We are so sorry that we have turned away from you. But we thank you that in your unchanging love, you gave us Jesus, and by Him, through Him, and for Him, 
all things are created. We will never understand the full mystery of this, but we accept with humility that you have sent Jesus to redeem the universe, to re redeem the world by redeeming us, by setting us free from Satan, by making us the children of God. And we pray from this day forward, increasingly our life will be filled with the wonder of you. Help us, O God, that we might live this way and be a wonderful witness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.